You are listening to a Writers at Stanton podcast. Every month, Stanton Library hosts some of the world's most exciting writers and thinkers to discuss their latest books. Thank you for joining us. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands in which we meet and to pay our respect to the spirits and ancestors past and present. My name is Kate Stewart from the team here at Stanton and today it's my pleasure to introduce Patty Miller to talk about her book, True Friends. Patty Miller was raised on Wiradjuri land in central western New South Wales and now lives in Sydney. She is the author of nine books. Is that correct? Still correct? Ten now. Non-fiction, memoir and fiction, including Writing True Stories, The Joy of High Places and the award-winning The Mind of a Thief. She has also taught memoir and creative non-fiction for many years around Australia and in Fiji, Bali, Paris and London, although perhaps not recently. Not the last two years. Yes. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Patty Miller. Um, welcome, everyone. It's it's lovely to see to see you here. Uh, I want to first acknowledge the traditional storytellers of, of this land. I'm simply continuing um, a long tradition by um, telling some of my my stories. I I thought that um, today I'd like to talk about how the book sort of came into being in a way because this is actually my my first proper talk because. Um, um, I've did it in conversation for my launch, so I haven't actually talked about the book yet. So um, you are my um, guinea pigs for, for talking about the book today. Um, I thought I'll just start right from the beginning and, and read you a little bit about the beginning. This is not from the book. This is just me thinking about where the book came from. Um, in early November 2019, I was getting on the plane in Paris on my way home from the Paris Memoir Workshop. That's probably the last time any of us got on a plane anywhere overseas. It was late, oh sorry, it was early in the morning, not my best time, but I felt relieved to have finished work and ready to be going home. Suddenly, ahead of me on the boarding bridge, I saw the back of a woman's head with a full, thick mane of dark hair. I felt a sudden jolt. I thought it was my ex-friend, Gina, the one who dumped me nearly two years before. We hadn't spoken in that time. I thought, what the hell is she doing in Paris? I had a sudden rush of memories of the times we'd shared there in the past. Glasses of red wine at Le Petit Fair, a concert in the Tuileries, walking to Vicky's place behind Montmartre, and the dozens of dozens of times we had worked together on the play that she was writing and, and, and talked about my writing. And then my mind started to race. What would I do when I passed her seat on the plane, I thought. Would I stop briefly and draw like a cool woman in a film? Well, this is awkward. Or would I nod tersely and keep walking? Um, or would I stop and smile and chat as if nothing had happened? The woman ahead of me on the bridge turned and to look at her trolley bag to check it, and of course, it wasn't her at all. But afterwards, when I sat down on the plane, I started thinking about what had gone on in my head 
It was a turmoil of, of thoughts and feelings. And I thought about the fact that I'd felt somehow um, ashamed and bewildered that I'd lost a friend. I started to think about friendship, about what it meant, what its place in my life was, what, uh, what um, the place of friendship in all our lives, what various friends had meant to me, how they had made me. I thought about the flood of memories that came and how that brief sighting could trigger such a flood of memories when, when we see something like that and suddenly a whole experience can come back to us. How does that happen? I thought about, too, about the fact that there seemed to be so little literature about friendship breakups. You think about it. You know, there, there's, there's endless novels and films and songs and poetry about relationship breakups, about the breakup of a, you know, a passionate affair or a marriage. There's endless literature about it. But what is there about the end of a friendship which doesn't inspire literature. And I started thinking, is it, you know, is it that we, um, you know, we are f afraid of it, we're frightened about it? So I began to take notes. On the plane, I started taking notes. I scribbled lists of friends throughout my life. I actually went right back to my first friend um, in uh, kindergarten, I didn't have a lot of choice because um, I was at a tiny little country school um, which had, was a, a few metres across. I think there was about 17 people um, in the school and only, um, I think, only one girl in my class. So I didn't have a lot of choice about who, who was my friend. But I, I noted questions about the process of memory, about what had happened as, as I saw that, um, as I thought I saw her and... By the time I arrived back in Sydney, I knew I had the beginnings of a book. It came, it came out in a flood. All these notes came out in a flood on my way back on the plane, and I knew when I got here that I had a book to write. I decided to start with Gina, the, the woman whose uh, apparent kind of sighting triggered the memories. Um, it was one of those creative friendships. She's, uh, she was an actor. And we talked intensely and openly about our work. So I'm going to read a little bit, and, and here and there I'll, I'll jump into the book and, and read little bits out. So this is a little bit about um, near the beginning of our, our friendship. We talked about acting and writing, about the process of creativity, how an unseen image, a connection, comes out of the dark and finds its place so exactly it's as if it is as if it had always been there how random pieces float together and form a shape that had been waiting to be made, how you sit down in the morning with nothing in your head, but by lunchtime, a room, a chair, a table exists, a painting hangs on a wall, a character has started to speak, someone is breathing. I remember one conversation, perhaps in the Jardin des Tuileries, as I have a note in an old diary about meeting there, I don't recall the words of the conversation, but I clearly see Gina's eyes and the pale oval of her face. There are no surroundings in the memory, only eyes in a face. But I can colour in the Tuileries from hundreds of other visits. White dust on my shoes, clipped rows of geometric chestnut trees, people sitting on green metal chairs around the ponds. It was just the two of us. We sat next to each other, our heads turned towards each other, deep in conversation, 
Her gaze was so intense and she spoke with such fiery passion and I listened with such absorption. What was she saying? That I suddenly felt a light-filled self had been ignited inside me. The ordinary woman burned away. It created a falling sensation, a vertigo. I was falling into her, a kind of dissolution of self. It wasn't physical or sexual, but it still frightened me. I felt myself draw back, a perhaps imperceptible drawing back from the edge of no return. Why was I so afraid? Does part of me fear being annihilated, being eaten alive? Why? Doesn't the whole universe long for oneness? So the central story um, was that that friendship and that breakup. We holidayed together with other friends. Um, we met in each other in Paris when I was doing the Paris Memoir Workshop. We had dinner at each other's places. My partner became good friends with her as well. My family met her. And then one day, after 15 years, I received a text instructing me not to contact her. She said I had become a burden. I had been pruned, cut away. It hurt a great deal. I thought about it day after day, trying to work out what I had done wrong. I didn't know. I was bewildered. The engine of true friends, the force underneath it, was in fact bewilderment. And I've discovered that bewilderment is actually a, a strong engine. So that central storyline threaded throughout the book, but I wanted it to be about more than that because I, I thought a lot about all the friendships I'd had through my life and what each friend was for. Not that you select them because they're for something, but when you think about it afterwards, you wonder about that. And who did I stay friends with? Did each friend play a different role? Um, had I, in fact, pruned friends myself in the past? Was I innocent? I decided to go right back to my school days. Family had to be excluded because I took um, Montaigne's definition, uh, the French uh, writer in the 16th century, and he said that um, between friends there ought to be no other traffic. That is, you shouldn't be um, uh, like brought up with them or, or married to them and running a household with them. Um, so it, it had to be just that, um, the tra just the traffic of friendship, nothing else. So I remembered Mary from my school days. Um, I met her when I was 13. She came from another uh, little country town. She was as gauche and unsophisticated as I was, and um, we became best friends. Um, it, she was uh, the first person, I guess, who had a kind of emotional turmoil in her, in her life because her mother uh, was an alcoholic, and she became what um, people in our town called the town bike. And um, it was, as you can imagine, humiliating for a teenage girl to have her mother you know, talked about in that kind of way. And I remember you know, when we bumped into her um, in the street um, when we were down from, you know, at, at lunchtime from school, um, she would you know, sort of stare at the footpath trying not to see her mother. Um, and her mother would say things like, well, I'll see you at home, seeing you can't look at me here. And it was all very difficult. And, and we, we were friends right through junior high school. And then it changed. 
I won a scholarship to go to boarding school for the last two years of high school, and I saw it as a chance to remake myself. So I'm just going to write my, like, read you my little... I don't know if it's little or not, but it's a, my confession about, um, about what I did. When I think about why I left Mary behind, the reasons blur. I want to say it's because it was too long ago, but the truth is that I've let it become blurred because I haven't wanted to look at it. I told myself I had outgrown her. Without being aware of it, I was reconstructing myself as someone who could inhabit the world I found in books, a world far away from our country town. I'd started to find her too obvious, too naive, which reminded me of the self I was trying to leave behind. It wasn't that my leaving for boarding school meant we grew apart. I knew already I wanted to leave our friendship. Boarding school was the opportunity to drop her without having to say or do anything a way out. Oops. Sorry. So at boarding school, I met um, another girl called Jane. I was 16 years old then, and she was the person who actually changed the direction of my life. I think the whole, the whole of the way that my life has developed, I think I owe in a certain way to Jane. I'm very interested in that idea of how another person can actually affect or change the direction of your life. Um, Jane lives in Florida now, so I rarely see her but I honour her as the person who headed me off in a certain direction. So I'd just like to read a little piece about um, when we first met. That evening, we were placed at the same table in the dining room and we talked again. At first, the usual things, where we came from, our families. I told her about my five brothers and two sisters, but what I remember distinctly, what was salient was Jane's reaction to one of my memories. It was about lying on the lawn in the dark all summer, or, sorry, all summer long with my brothers and sisters, talking about the stars and satellites and murmuring about our lives. She was thrilled by this story. Your family is amazing, she exclaimed. I felt nonplussed. We only did it because it was so horribly hot in the dingy house that we couldn't sleep and because we had no television to keep us inside. We dragged blankets outside and put them on the scratchy dry lawn and marshmallow grass and lay on them and looked up at the sky. We pointed out constellations and shooting stars or just lay quietly looking up. We also said the rosary, a long repetitive group prayer, but I didn't mention that. Then, in a moment of insight, I suddenly saw my brothers and sisters lying in the dark, looking at stars as poetic as Jane did. And I suddenly realised... This was the kind of thing she noticed and valued. She was just like Emily in the L.M. Montgomery books I used to read, sensitive to beauty, creative, thoughtful. Our currency of friendship would be what was poetic, beautiful, remarkable. These things would become what I valued most, what I looked for, what I pointed out and talked about. Jane changed the direction of my life, or at the very least shifted the angle of trajectory to the one it has taken ever since. As I wrote, I thought a lot about how we know anyone else, 
I mean, we observe each other, we talk to each other, we have observations in common. Um, we stitch these things together to make a memory of a friend. Um, and it seemed to me that memory had to be part of the story of friendship because all we have is a kind of um, electrochemical picture in our heads of, of other people and what we select to notice about other people is obviously different in every person because otherwise um, everybody would love the same people and we, and we don't. So I'm thinking, what, what is it that's going on in our brain? So I, I actually did quite a lot of research on the neuroscience of, of memory. Um, I do get obsessed about these things and you will have to forgive me if you're not equally fascinated by the, by the neuroscience of memory. But I'll just read you a little bit about that just to give you an idea of that. And this is a little bit about um, how, how memory happens and how the memory of knowing another person, making a friend, happens. Apparently, during the original experience, the senses are activated by the smell of coffee, the feel of a china cup, the eyes of an auburn-haired woman, and messages are passed to the brain where the seahorse-shaped hippocampus puts them together into a story. I am having coffee in a cafe with a new friend. When the almond-shaped amygdala is excited, Senses and emotions are linked, making the memories more likely to last. The next time, and for years afterwards, when my senses are activated by any one of those elements, there's a kind of video replay of the original event. A curious edi editing can happen, though. If, someone el if something else occurs when I'm recalling the memory, say a woman in a white shirt walks past, the white shirt can be edited into the original memory and I won't even notice. This, of course, is the barest outline of the body's magic trick, turning life into electrical circuitry via a seahorse and an almond in the brain. It all sounds so unlikely, and yet it forms a sense of self. Without the seahorse and the almond, I would have no memory and no consciousness of being and there could be no books, no poetry, no theatre, no painting, no clay tablets inscribed with wedge-shaped cuneiform script, no storytelling, and no friendship. I wondered about the different roles that friends play. There's some who are your emotional support. There's others who expand your thinking and ideas. And then there are friends um, and the, who change your life, as, as Jane did. Um, one particular friend I had, Trish, was a friend with whom we, I talked about her, uh, emotion, our emotional lives, uh, read Love Life. Um, truth to tell, it was probably me listening to her love life. Um, I know about her relationship in detail, the various relationships she's had. Um, but it's not just about emotions. We, we talk to our, um, I mean, love life emotions. We talk about um, ourselves as mothers, about our journeys as, as human beings, our struggle to know ourselves, to understand who we are, to try to live with, with openness and awareness. But then there's a friend like, like Meryl, who in a proud, profound way expanded my thinking and my knowledge. I met her when she was, sorry, when I was 23. Um, I'd just come, come back from New Zealand. I had a, a two-year-old child, and her child and my child became friends, and that's how I became friends with her. Um, she was a few years older and better educated than I was at that stage. But she was one of the, probably the first friend I had who shaped her life around um, the life of the mind. 
She knew and talked about philosophy, psychology, literature, history, art. We never talked about her emotional life. I wouldn't have even known if Meryl had a boyfriend or not. I, st- you know, I just wouldn't have known. It wasn't what we talked about. It, it just didn't come into it. She had a, a deeply abstract mind, but these were not topics for mere intellectual study. It wasn't about that. They were about how to live. All of those discussions were always about how to live. And it was also um, about great kindness. One, one, uh, one day, uh, some years ago now, many years ago now, decades ago, I drove to ha- her house and promptly fell apart in the middle of the night. I didn't know what was going on. And um, she, she looked after me. You know, She tucked me up in bed. She gave me lemongrass tea. She took me for walks under trees to, to, and played Mozart for me um, and, and was... Uh, I owe her for looking after me. But my friendship with Meryl was sometimes difficult. She stayed with us once for three weeks after um, she, she needed somewhere to stay. And because of the stresses, she developed what I called a, Proust- a Proustian narrative style so that when she talked, she kept on branching and branching and branching out. And about two hours later, there, it was still branching out. And, 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 and I, I, I found that irritating. I'm a little bit impatient, I have to admit. Um, and then um, there was the comment about my first book, which... Um, many years ago. She knew how long and hard I'd worked on it. And the only thing she said about it was there were a lot of typos in that book. (laughs) And I thought, do I need this? I thought. And then there was an argument um, over editing. I'm I'm wondering, I might might not have time to read it, but it was actually about, I I might read a tiny bit of it actually, just so you get an idea of how ridiculous it was. Um, uh, the details look foolish from this distance, but uh, Meryl's... Uh, I, I gave her an editing job to do, and it seemed to me to be the opposite of my careful guidelines. I was tired. I wrote a brief correcting email. She wrote a long one in return, challenging my corrections, referring to them as the beginning of a dialectic. I wrote another, sticking to my point. She wrote another. I defended. She referred to my controlling behaviour. You see how it went. <laughs> A long handwritten letter in Merrill's tiny script with accompanying photocopying pages arrived in the post. I skimmed the letter, saw it would send me in a turmoil to read, so I folded it and put it away. The photocopied pages were about dictatorial managers who tell other people how to do their work. Perhaps it was accurate. But I didn't see Meryl for a few years and then I was worried about, because I hadn't heard from her or seen her and I emailed her daughter and she said she was fine and then I I bumped into her again and we were just delighted and thrilled to to see each other. But um, the book, True Friends, is actually dedicated to Meryl because she died in October, uh, sorry, in December, just before Christmas, 21st of December, um, Meryl died. So um, it feels very raw and and recent to me. And one of the things that made me realise, and and I saw her the week before she died, it it made me realise that we we can't think we've got all the time in the world because we haven't, you know. And I think that that was the writing of the book, but also COVID that made me kind of realise we haven't got all the time in the world. And if we need to to um, mend uh, fences or bridges or whatever, we should do it right, right now. I think um, just just briefly on um, the difficulties of, of writing about friendship, um, I think, you know, the... 
the idea of um, the absence of stories. I talked about it with a few people, and most people agree that um, it's as complicated as relationship breakups, but we don't talk about it, we don't write about it, and I realise there's an embarrassment, a sense of shame at being discarded from a friend, uh, by a friend. I wanted to break the silence about friendship breakups. For me, it meant that uh, true friends was not just about me, it was about all of us. It was about our desire for connection, our need to be part of the human tribe, and what it feels like when we are cast out. I know I'm supposed to finish, but I'm just going to read one tiny piece um, from a friend of mine who came from, she was an only child, and this is, this is what she wrote to me. With so few family, my friends have been my formation, identity, and belonging, both men and women. But it is the women throughout my life who have shown me myself and abided. To them, the first tribute. So I want to pay tribute to all the women friends um, in my life, and thank you for being here today. And if not, we'll encourage her to read a few more bits. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering um, what your thoughts are of the modern term. Um, they call it um, ghosting. Um, it seems to me that um, um, these days it's easy if you want to... Um, quit a friendship either way, you can simply just block their phone number, block all their social media. Yes, yes. Whereas years ago, um, you couldn't do that. You had to, um, you know, they'd come around and knock on your door or keep ringing your landline. Um, <clears throat> because uh, unfortunately, I've had to um, ghost a few long-term friends because they become toxic and um, how I've handled it is I've first of all just cut them off and then after a month or two I send them a text and if that text is too hostile then I just okay. cut them off completely. Yes. Thank I, you. I, I think it's, yes, I think it's, it's um, I think the means is only a little different. I think it's it's always been just as painful and, and difficult. And I guess it depends, you know, a lot just on people's personal um, uh, kind of um, desire to avoid conflict as well. I mean, ghosting is an easy way to avoid conflict. And, and, and certainly, you know, when I looked at this particular friendship uh, breakup, um, there was a fair amount of that going on. But I kept on telling myself that it was okay, as you do, you know, that someone's busy, you know, that they have other things to do at the moment and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you find out that they've actually been visiting friends in Melbourne and been working and, and you realise they just haven't they they just haven't haven't got time for you. But I mean whatever way you do it, um, uh, it will it will hurt. So it, it's um, and, and that's what I wanted to look at, you know. Um, uh, you know that that the fact is that um, it, it is a considered a kind of shameful experience. And I, I realised it's because it does make you feel like you've been cast out of the um, human community if, if a friend drops you 
which is more so than, than a relationship, I think, a, a, a marriage or an affair. You don't feel like you've been cast out of the whole human community. There was another question just here somewhere. Patty, I'm guessing that some of your lost friends uh, may come back into your life as after reading your book. Or uh, I'll lose you... some more. Oh! <laughs> no, no, no. Um, how are you feeling about that? Are you sort of preparing mentally already, yes. emotionally? Uh, from when I started writing the book, I was, I was kind of anxious the whole time I was writing the book. The only way I could actually write it was, um, was to use what I call the, um, the Scarlett O'Hara method. And, and that is, I don't know if anyone remembers, but in, in Gone With Wind, whenever things were difficult, she would just say... Um, I'll, I'll think about that tomorrow. So, so every day I said, told myself I'll think about that tomorrow and it's now tomorrow and um, it, I do feel a lot of turmoil about it um, and it's, it's very difficult. Um, I just got a text from someone this morning um, saying um, who was written about and she, she said, um, my girlfriend was upset that you um, told her ab- about being depressed no. And I remember noting that at the time, like maybe we, we don't like it when, if, uh, we, if our partner tells somebody else something about us. I mean, we all do it all the time. But um, she, uh, and I thought about that, and I thought if I take out all of the colour of this book, I will have a very grey book. And I decided each time I waited up, there were some things I did leave out, you know. Um, because I thought that it might inflict too much pain. But if it was m- just maybe embarrassment or discomfort, I would, I would sometimes leave it in. But it, it is, I still feel like a lot of turmoil, and I know there's probably quite a lot to come. There, there are some false names in it, not all of them. Um, I checked with um, everyone that was written about, except the the Gina character, because she had instructed me not to contact her. Um, but I did contact all of the others, and there are some uh, kind of false names. And I also changed a few details just to protect um, particular people's privacy that might have caused a lot of difficulty for them. So it was, it was a very tricky thing, and it always is with memoir. You know, I mean, it's 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 very tricky to tell the truth, and not not hurt others. This one over there. Hi, that takes me to a question I had actually, and you might not want to confirm or deny this because you've actually said at the beginning that you've got names that are, you've changed some names and details for protection. But I wondered why and if you've actually given the real names or given new names to just tell us when you're telling Gina about the names of Chris and Dolly, the, the real... I don't know if they're the real names, but I'm just wondering why you decided in this book to, if you put their real names, which you may not have. Yes. So I don't necessarily yes. need you to confirm or deny that, but no, I'm just no. interested in why you thought you could do it at this point in time. Yes, yes, and I, and I thought with that book we were talking about um, whatever the gods do, and I put that bit in to really make a distinction between the actual person walking around and the person who's constructed in a book because they're two very different things. As it says in the kind of, it's almost a a sort of prologue, I I say something like um, uh, 
this is not uh, uh, this is not you. This is my construction of you. People still remain exactly who they are, whatever I've said about them. The thing is that we actually all go around all day, every day, with the construction of other people in our heads, which might not bear any relationship to anyone else's construction of them or that person's construction of them. And all writers do is put that construction on the page. It's, it's not radical. It's happening inside everyone's heads all the time. We just take that ridiculously... Um, risky step of putting that construction that's in our heads on the page. But it's, it's there inside all of us all of the time. Hi. One of the expressions that has been used... I've, I've been on the receiving end and the giving end, mm. um, is... All friendships have a use-by date. Mm. Yes, that's, that's harsh. Yes, yes. I, I don't think they do. Um, I think um, it, uh, certain friendships. I think I think do, and maybe you know, in the end, it might even just depend on geography. You know that that somebody moves far away and you don't see them very often. So either that might mean the end of a friendship, but it also might mean that the friendship continues because you're not seeing them often enough for them to annoy you. You know, so, so I think, like, on, on Saturday, um, I had lunch with um, two friends, um, one of whom had come over from Adelaide for the launch, and she came over not knowing what I had written about her. And um, I met her when I, when I was 19 years old, and... And she's still my friend, and I don't think there's a use-by date. You know? And another friend said to me while I was writing it, she just laughed and said, you can write whatever you like. You know? And I think that there are some friends who understand that, you know, um, that, uh, that it is what I do, you know, and, I'm, and I'm going to use the material around me because what else is there? I remember um, Eleanor Dark, the... Um, you know, the novelist, when she got sick of people asking her, did she get her characters from life? And she finally said, well, where else would I get them? You know, and, and I think whether you're writing fiction or non-fiction, you, you are kind of constructing um, characters on the page. And I tried to be as truthful as I possibly could to the picture that I had in my brain. And I do think there are some friends that do abide. Can I ask a second question? Mm -hmm. It's to do with the ghosting. And um, again, in the recent incident in my own life, I was ghosted for about a year. And I, I just, I kept wondering, as you were saying, what have I done wrong, what have I done wrong? And then I asked a, a mutual friend who then passed the message back and then I got the email full of character assassination and all that. So I wondered, is it something that you should not ghost people and just disappear into the ether, or should you confront Look, them? Look, I, I really, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have, um, like, I'm not an expert in the in this area or anything, and I, and I don't like offering um, wisdom because I, I don't feel very wise. Um, I can only observe um, what happens. You know, I, I don't know what is what is best to do. You know, I, I think the the withdrawal of of um, um, kind of uh, friendship 
is is uh, maybe sometimes a kind of pruning in that they do it for their own good, you know, um, like a, uh, like a, a gardener that cuts a branch off and the tree flourishes then, but nobody thinks about the poor old sappy old branch on the ground. And, and, and I have to admit, I felt like that sappy old branch on the ground. But, you know, when I looked at myself honestly, you know, I did it when I was 16 to Mary, who was, who was a lovely, a lovely girl, you know, and, and she remained friends with my mother as well. So, you know, but I, I think it was actually a really useful thing to actually really examine um, the way that I had connected and related um, to other people because we tend to think we are innocent <laughs> and um, I think it's actually a useful thing to examine oneself and have a look at, at what you've done. So, I, I mean, it was really interesting and, and for me, I think the book ended up mostly like being a, um, a kind of hymn of love and praise um, for friendship but also a kind of curious exploration of friendship. Like the first story ever written down, or that's been discovered, that is, um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I write about, it was about friendship. The very first story ever found was about friendship. So I was thinking that that's like four or 5,000 years ago. It's always been important. Hi, you speak about the turmoil that you're going through and obviously the turmoil that's yet to come. Mm. Um, is the turmoil worth it in the sense that you obviously had an out... You, you know, what was the out, your desired outcome for writing the book and weighing that up against the turmoil? Is the turmoil worth it? Gee, Valerie, I ask myself that question every day, you know, is, is, and, and while I was writing it, you know, and I remember my partner saying to me, seeing the turmoil I was going through, he, he would say, is this worth it, you know? And, like, as a writer, I have to say, yes, it is worth it because I've made something, you know, I've made something that I think is, is worthwhile or I hope that is worthwhile. As a person, I don't know. You know, that's, that's a different thing altogether, you know. But, but I think, in a way, um, uh, when you're writing and then when your book comes out, you, you have to draw on a kind of um, a steely truth-telling part of yourself while the rest of you is, is crumpling in a heap. And I think, yeah, as a writer, yes, it's worth it. Yes? Hello? Hello, it goes on from that, really, which is, did you find the process cathartic to sort of just go through all of this emotion and somehow it feels mm. better getting yeah, it out? Yeah, that's a good question. In fact, as soon as I started writing the book, I became calm. As soon as I started writing it. And I think that's the really interesting thing about writing is that, you know, the whole kind of turmoil and, and chaos or feeling and experience and whatever it is that you're going through, when you start treating it as something to be made out of words on the page, it all shifts. It all shifts. And I think it's something about the empowerment of um, being able to create something. It's your creation that you're making on the page. So I, w within a week... I had lost all of that um, bewilderment. It doesn't mean that sometimes it doesn't come back, but a, a, a almost um, a, a calm centre came to me um, when I was writing. And, and that's still there, but when I'm here in you know, um, my ordinary 
very ordinary human form, um, I can't help but be tossed about by other people's emotions about it as well. But I think if you are feeling turmoil and conflict about anything, write about it. Hi, thanks very much, Patty, for, for the topic of your book, True Friendship. Mm -hmm. um, it's a wonderful thing in this disruptive pandemic time to be actually looking at the elements behind friendship. I'm wondering whether you were able to distill elements that you felt were part of true friendship in your journey through this novel that you actually have put together. <laughs> to me, for example, um, friendship, true friendship is about openness, it's about a spirit, it's about a trust, it's about intimacy, it's about respect, and it's about shared experience. It's also about a friend indeed is a friend in need, <laughs> that sort of element that sort of comes through to me. So I'm really wondering, were you able to distill some of the elements that you found in your discovery or your journey about true friendship? Yes, I, I, I was just trying, as you were asking that, I was trying to find a little bit that I'd actually written about it. Um, so I think, this is what I've said, um, I realised that all the way through this archaeology I have avoided divide, uh, defining the exact nature of friendship. There's a risk of sounding like a wise meme on social media. Friends are always there for you. Friends accept you the way you are. Friends listen. Friends see your qualities and ignore your flaws. But it's also a reluctance to spin, pin down its shifting and subtle nature. And I think that um, I did, I mean, obviously I, I came to various kind of insights about it, but I decided I didn't want to pin it down because it is something that's shifting all the time. I mean, you can be furious with a friend one moment and... The and, and feeling very critical of their behaviour, and then you can be open-hearted and connect to them and listen. So I think it's as complex and subtle as any relationship, and I think that I, I did avoid pinning it down because I think it is too complex to pin down. There was a question down there. Patty, I would just like to thank you for your writing this book and for all your writing. I have found it so enriching. Yes. Um, about friendship, I'm so pleased you've written about friendship because I think it's so important and so underrated and I'm very pleased that you've written a book because it honours uh, friendship. I mean, I, as far as I know, there's no sacrament for friendship. Yes. There's a sacrament for baptism and marriage and so on, but not for friendship and yet in so many of our lives it's very, very important. So thank you for the book. I can't wait to read it. And I'm going to get at least one copy of it for at least one of my good friends. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank, thanks. Um, thanks, Caroline. You know, it is underrepresented, despite the fact that the first written story was about friendship. It's, I mean, there are a few novels. I mean, there's the famous My Brilliant Friend, um, Eleanor Ferranti. Um, and that's about the complexity and the shifting nature of friendship. But um, breaking up with a friend, however it's done, is, is not really written about. Or, and I don't know any poetry about it or any songs about it. So I think it's, it's way over time to examine it. I mean, there are theoretical examinations, but this one is, is very personal. And, you know, it... it um, it probably goes close to um, the bone, certainly for me and maybe for others. 
But um, it would be great. I mean, in a way, I'd love to be able to send the book to um, even the people who have broken with me. But I don't think that's going to happen. We'll wrap it up there then, I think, Patty. Patty will be signing copies of the book at the back of the room, um, and Jay from the Constant Reader has copies to sell. Uh, could, could I just put in an ad for Paris? Please. Okay, okay. Paris doesn't need any pa advertising. But pa pa Paris is back. Paris is back. The Paris Memoir Workshop is is back, and it'll be in, in October. So um, uh, do come and join me. <laughs> We hope you have enjoyed spending your time with us. Catch up with more of our audio recordings and relive the discussion, insights and laughter of Writers at Stanton. To find out more about our other events and programs, please visit www.northsydney.nsw.gov.au forward slash library. Thank you for listening.